Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with... everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this delightful Friday Eve. <laughs> yes indeed it is and it looks like we got us a debt deal at least through the House of Representatives. It passed uh, last night. wasn't quite as dramatic as we thought it might be. But it got on through there. The House passed it. And uh, the vote tallied in. 165 Democrats voting to support passed the measure. 149 Republicans, that gives you a total of 314, that's more than enough, to pass the chamber with 435 members. Although, wasn't there something in the agreement about 150 votes from the Republican side? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know that, that it was an agreement like a... a Understand. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So they got 149. I had to giggle when I saw that. Yeah, it's political drama. 46 Democrats opposed the measure. 71 Republicans. Total of 117 opposed. 314 in favor. That's 431, of course. And that is enough to pass. It is headed to the Senate, the U.S. Senate at this point. How did your representatives vote here in the great state of Mississippi? We got a, uh, a lone no vote from Congressman Michael Guest, according to my research. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah. We had three uh, of our other Congress folks that voted in favor of it. That would be Representative Trent Kelly, of course, Benny Thompson, and Mike Ezel. They voted in the yay column. Congressman Michael Guest from Mississippi's 3rd District was the lone no from Mississippi's delegation in the House. We'll see what happens over in the Senate with our two senators. But that's where we are now. And I did, in fact, uh, speak with a congressman. My congressman, Michael Guest, the last couple of days about this, and 
I, uh, I'm grateful that he reached out to me for thoughts. And, and I said to him, Rhino, what I said on the show yesterday, there's a practical aspect of this, there's a political aspect of this. That's why I giggled at the 149 when there yeah. was a understanding that there would be 150. I was laughing at the fact that there's probably about a dozen representatives that are all going to claim to be that one that changed their mind at the last second. No, that's probably the case. But that's the way the game is played, as you know. When you, oh, yeah. when you have something that is so pivotal like this, that, that's usually how... It to pans out. But the congressman made an interesting statement. I, I'll share it with you. If you haven't seen, you may have one. I understand that Congressman Mike Easel, I'm sure all the offices have. I haven't researched them all at this point, but I do have the one from Congressman Michael Guest. I'll share. He said this evening, this was last night, of course, I voted against legislation to raise the debt ceiling. My decision is not to not support the legislation is not a criticism of Speaker McCarthy or his team who worked hard to force the president to negotiate and obtained some positive concessions. I ultimately voted no because our nation is on an unsustainable path and without additional concessions from the White House, the bill does not do enough to change the financial direction of our country. I think all that's true. So, I said yesterday that, essentially, with both parties saying we won't touch mandatory spending, that consists of what are referred to as entitlements, and I know that, that caused quite the stir on the text line yesterday, and, and it needs to be explained and clarified. Entitlements simply mean these, these are government programs and uh, government benefits to which one is entitled by law. That's Social Security, Medicare, primarily. There's veterans' benefits and and the like, but in general, the big programs to to which citizens are entitled because they have earned the right to those benefits based on the criteria to do so. In the case of Social Security, you've got to pay in 40 quarters to earn some form of benefits. Okay, so those are entitlements. Other forms of federal welfare are referred to as assistance, such as the Temporary Assistance to Needy Families Program, TANF, that's a big one. Medicaid coverage, insurance, is assistance, essentially, from the government. One is not entitled to those benefits There are programs that certainly one can qualify for, but they're not entitled to them statutorily. Medicare and Social Security, a person is entitled to those by simply paying into them, working. Uh, So you, you possibly could qualify, should clarify for certain disability benefits. Um... But those are minor, honestly, in the Social Security program. All right, so you got that 70% we can't touch. You got defense, Republicans said, can't touch. And Lindsey Graham basically was fear-mongering last night. I heard an interview with him over 
this bill because of how it limits the increase in spending on defense. His point is, look, this is below inflation. We're not able to keep up with inflation. His, his uh, position, of course, is we got to keep spending more money on defense. There's no secret he's always been a person that's had strong feelings in that direction about that. So he's mad because we didn't increase defense spending enough. So think about it. We can't touch the 70% of mandatory. We can't touch defense. In fact, some believe we should increase it. And that leaves us, I said yesterday with the other 15%, I was slightly erroneous about that, and here's why. There were a couple of programs related to veterans' benefits, and there was one more, that were also deemed off-limits. Those are part of that 15%. So by taking those out of the equation, you really only had 12% of spending to adjust. 12%. And like we said so many times before, Get rid of 100% of that, and you still got a trillion and a half dollar deficit. As you said yesterday, that's just how bad and serious the whole situation is. And nobody will talk in these terms like we're talking right now. Because half of them don't understand it at this level. Well, that's not acceptable, as you know. You're in charge of a $6.3 trillion budget. You got to have a clue. You got to have a clue. They won't talk just as we are right now. What we're sharing right now, just the reality of this, the objective truth of how this works. So I share the sentiments of others who say, oh, no, we got to do more. We're, we're on an unsustainable path. I totally agree. Then what? Because you've only given us 12% to deal with. And we're obviously not going to cut that to zero so, again, what's the goal? A balanced budget? To stop the rate of increase? Because that's all we did here. We just simply stopped the rate of increase. We reduced the rate of increase. We didn't stop it fully. We simply reduced the trajectory of the increase of deficits and thus debt. That's all we did. It's not like, oh, great, we got a balanced budget. We're not even close. So as much as I know that folks probably get tired of me harping on the mandatory spending things, programs, Medicare, Social Security, some even said, well, why are you on that? We don't want to cut that. Okay, well, then what do you want to cut? (laughs) And I'm not suggesting let's go cut benefits right now. I would never in a million years before that. That would not be right. That would not be fair. Or even those within some certain number of years of retirement and enjoying those benefits they paid into. No, I wouldn't support that either. But we got to have a serious conversation about what to do. So the Wall Street Journal got a clue. I'm going to share that on the other side of the break. They wrote an article saying, we didn't touch Medicare. Do you realize what's about to happen to Medicare? I'll tell you more about that on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well Studios. Milton Robinson, State Director of the American Legion Boys State at 1037. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth at 1105. Big show planned for you today. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Wealth Studios. Looking forward to having Jeremy Nelson, uh, partner at Element Wealth, on the program at 11.05. Thought it'd be a good idea to get him on and get his take from the investment community's perspective. Because watching that market, it don't know what to think. <laughs> it's crazy. Hopping around that old rhino kangaroo is going crazy. Don't forget, if you are thinking about or planning for a retirement, you need a plan. So go to myelementwealth.com, call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C Spire tax line, 601-879-4395. Let us know what's on your mind. Uh, be nice to us, though, right? <laughs> I dream. No, we got a great, engaged audience, and every now and then we find a couple that aren't so nice, but honestly, they pale in comparison to the great uh, audience we have that is, is smart and engaged and uh, interactive, and we appreciate that. Before I get back to, to this debt ceiling deal, and specifically... Uh, the elephant in the room that everybody seems to ignore, Medicare and Social Security, Johns Hopkins, a little fodder here. You know who those guys are, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, they <laughs> I can't even get through it. They've produced a pronoun guide. It's a, you got to have that, right? Obligatory pronoun guide. And if I'm not mistaken, there are 50 pronoun usage rules that they have promulgated there at the medical school. The medical staff, they've provided a roadmap to navigate all these pro- pronouns. What the hell is this? V-E? What is that? V-X-E? Or V-E? Oh, V-E? Okay. <laughs> X-E is G. <laughs> what about F-A-E-R-S-E-L-F? What's that? What is Fair that? self? I don't know. Well, I mean, they love putting self at the end of stuff. This, this <laughs> is right. how I identify. You're right. I'm so, a dragon self. My scales are under my skin. But don't be troubled because the guide also includes some sample usage. Of course it does. <laughs> Such as I, A E, clean the office all by I herself. <laughs> or I gave fair, F-A-E-R. I guess that's how you pronounce it, F-A-E. There's I gave people that want to be fairies. <laughs> I gave, okay, fair the key. The guide also shows how to use titles correctly, such as using Mr. Period for men. Oh, I needed to know that. Miss for women or MX for non-binary or gender diverse people. <laughs> Wait, I thought this was a leading medical school on the planet. This is what we're focused on? Are you kidding me? The guide comes alongside policy that went into effect last year, which allows workers to use their legal names on badges, but they can opt for a name that fits with their gender identity. I wonder how far you could push that. Oh, my the medical program's director for LGBTQ plus equity and education. <laughs> I identify <laughs> as the seven words you can't say on television. Put that on my badge. 
I had a friend that I sent this to to read because we exchange stories like this. <laughs> he sent me a text back that said, my pronouns are the F word and you. <laughs> what I told him was that it's my understanding that there are several companies, you know this, Johnson & Johnson is one that I have a friend that works for that told me about this recently, said that you've got to choose an affinity group that you want to join, except there's no white male affinity group. That might be offensive to identify as who you really are, right, biologically, really. And, uh, and so you've got to have your pronouns in parentheses, of course, in your email signature. And so you could put F and U in there. Well, that worked. I guess so. Until somebody gets offended. But that's the thing about all of this. <laughs> all these liberals, these bleeding hearts, these leftists, these wokesters, these woke scolds, <laughs> these people on the pattern of intersectionality, they're just... Older versions of that one kid that everybody hates to play with in school. <laughs> because whenever you're make-believing anything, whenever you're playing superheroes or Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles or whatever else you're playing, they're the kid that's always making up new rules so they can win, always coming up with new superpowers <laughs> so they can win. They're always just doing their level best to be the center of attention and come out on top. You roll that forward in the years, and you get every single example of this nonsense ever. That is precisely true. That's what it's all about. It's, it's just a new... It used to be, hey, look at my superpower in an innocuous children's game. That was the person who had to have all the attention. You're right. Well, that person's now grown up to insisting that their pronouns be in their email address, right? Same thing. And their pronoun might change by the hour, <laughs> depending on how they feel. So this medical school has a director of LGBTQ plus equity and education. Now what do you bet that's a three to four hundred thousand dollar year gig? You know it is. Well, this person's name is Paula Nira. Ms. Nira, I guess, I don't know, how does she identify? Paula sounds like a female name to me. Am I going to get canceled for that? She said on a podcast earlier in the year that in addition to patients using, a patient can use a chosen name for their wristbands, <laughs> professionals who work for the hospital system can also use a chosen name on their ID badges. There you go. So, Back in my old fraternity days at Ole Miss, <laughs> we always, of course, had our name bad, name tag on, you know, just a little sticky or something. And Hi, was, my name is. Yeah, exactly. And that was mainly for the rushies coming through back in the formal rush days. Well, we had a guy, <laughs> this is what it reminds me of, he would never put his real name on his, on his, on his name badge, so you'd be moving a rushie around, escorting a rushie around, and introduce him. To, to them. And of course, by his real name, I never paid attention to his name badge. I knew the guy. Lived two doors down the hall. And the brushy would look at the name badge and I would say something else like, wait, you said the guy's name was Scott. He's got Joe. <laughs> you don't know him? <laughs> and he could do it with a straight face. Shake hands. Well, the, isn't that what this crap is? But oh, yeah. we were having fun. We were just laughing, having fun about it. Which is what life should be about. No, we got to get serious and do a podcast about patients choosing their name on their wristband. Like, 
That's what you're worried about when you go to the hospital and they put a wristband on you? I thought you were sick, and the idea was to get well. Good grief. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so back to the deaths of something a little more serious. Because you've said it before, this ain't serious. No. This isn't serious. It's just not. This person's making four hundred grand a year, probably, to do And that this same crap. person would probably lecture anyone else on how they could do so much good that's, for the world with their true. money. <laughs> that is so true. So one of the flaws in Medicare... And we've talked about this before. I've said, you know, the fundamental problem is we keep inventing more care. That's great. Higher quality of life. You've watched it. You've worked in that world. It's incredible how innovative, in this country, by the way, is where the vast majority of it comes from. Well, that's not baked into the Medicare economic model. And most of that, if you think about it, it's administered in the Medicare end-of-life period. And it's a bit of a double-edged sword because, yes, you do have major breakthroughs that advance the knowledge and the skill base of doctors around the world. You also have a lot of gaming the system. No doubt. No doubt. So I'm going to give you an example. So here's what happened. Something I never thought about that I got from the journal this morning. He said that these new additions come out, and often they're just changes to existing procedures. Right? You're shaking your head. You, oh, you've yeah. seen this. But what they do is the lobbyists, imagine that, push CMS. By the way, this isn't. This is another thing. This isn't done by the Congress. Congress doesn't get to this level of detail. This is done by the CMS that runs Medicare and Medicaid. So what they do is they push them to create whole new ICD code um, procedures so that they can get more money for. It. Of course they do. Well, that practice needs to stop, needs to be reined in. Where is the Congress? This is the kind of stuff they need to be looking at. I know they personally don't need to get in all these weeds, but they can at least be aware of, like you said, how the system's being gamed, and say, I ain't signing off on any more money until we root out all this crap. Because that's what's running up the tab. A lot. We're going to settle down here for a second, taking a break. We got the Beatles bumping us out, and when we return, it's Milton Robinson, state director of the American Legion Boys State. Stay with us. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. And joining us now, Milton Robinson, the state director of the American Legion, Boys State. Hey, Milton, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Gerard. Thanks for the invitation. You bet. So first, uh, tell our audience about uh, the history of Boys State, exactly how the organization was formed, what it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So the American Legion is the backbone of the Boy State program. And the American Legion founded it early in the late 1930s. 
and began in the Midwest, and Mississippi started it in 1938, and we've been going ever since. The American Legion are the primary sponsors for the boys to attend Boys State, and we call them delegates here, but they're the American Legion are the primary sponsors, and and they're our backbone. They are, they are what keep us going every single day, and they uh, serve their country, and now they're continuing to invest back in their country, and, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Yeah, awesome. So tell us about uh, the Boys State happening at, uh, it's at Ole Miss this year, I believe, right? That's correct. That's correct. We'll be at Ole Miss for the, the, this year and the next two years, so three years total, and we're excited to be here. Ole Miss has, has treated us very well, and uh, they believe, they truly believe in, in this next generation, and they invest in that, and we're, we're glad for it. But, but yes, to your question, the program's going very well this year. We've got just under 300 delegates, and 40 or so of my volunteer staff are all here, and we are rocking and rolling. And just yesterday, they had their elections. They elect big eight positions hmm. from commissioner of insurance to governor to uh, state legislators, and they've gotten to hear from some great people this week. And yesterday, we had our elections, and, and essentially, the program is in their hands right now. They are given the task to, to pass a budget. They have to fund some city projects. And they're looking at the issues that we provide them each year, and they're writing legislation yeah. and and discussing these topics. It's a great week. Hmm. And so these are rising seniors, is that correct? That's correct, yes, Gerard. So current juniors, rising seniors across Mississippi, um, young men who, who excel in academics and in leadership and in their communities, um, we're, we're a program for, for everyone. And, and I tell parents when they check their kids in on last Sunday, or this past Sunday, rather, that that you know we we have the best and the brightest um but if if you have a son if you have a child or a student as a, as a high school counselor that seems to be struggling but they show the smallest signs of leadership we want them here at boys state and we have had a great group we've got one of our highest average gpas this year um here at boys state with this group of delegates and we're proud for that and proud for them but there's always more to do. There's always more to learn to be good leaders in Mississippi. Yeah. And you've got some uh, present elected officials scheduled to address the group as well, correct? We do. We do. So the elected officials that have spoken to us so far would, would include State Auditor Shad White. He's a great supporter of our program. Mm -hmm. We had State Senator Rod Hickman from Knoxville County. We had Attorney General Lynn Fitch yesterday and Commissioner Willie Simmons as well. And we've got some more that are coming later this week. Representative Shana Geary, who's also on my staff here at Boys State, and Mayor George Flags from Vicksburg. Um, those are the elected officials, but, but we've got some great leaders that are also um, here on the Ole Miss campus. And former elected officials like uh, former Chief Justice Bill Waller Jr. will be speaking later this evening. Um, the boys just got done hearing from, from David McGee here at Ole Miss with the McGee Institute. Gave him a really great talk, and, and hmm. these boys were drawn into that conversation. And you might be familiar with David McGee and his story about his family and their, and their struggles and their triumphs now and overcoming those things like addiction. Um, but we're talking about real issues here at Boys State, and, and they heard that from David McGee, and, and I don't think there was a distracted mind in that room just a few moments ago. Hmm. Do you feel like that uh, any are, that are in attendance, have they shared that they have some future political aspirations? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would, I would imagine so. There, there's quite the passionate group here at Boys State. Um, we've got, we've got a, great, a great group. Um, I, I would say that, that quite a number of them have some aspirations when they walked into Boy State, and maybe a few more of them have, have aspirations when they leave. 
Um, but, but, you know, we, we are kind of a politically minded, civic minded organization. And we certainly talk about that. And as you've just heard, we, they hear from our state leaders and elected officials, but we are, we are more than just a, a political program, a civics program. We, we, at the core of it, we're a leadership program. Yeah. We're going to just speak into these boys' lives when they're at this pivotal time and they're facing decisions about their future, whether to go to school or to the workforce or what to do next. We're instructing them and, and guiding them to take responsibility today. Leaders don't wait for permission to lead, and that's what we're trying to get get across to these young men. Yeah. Do they, uh, uh, Milton? Do they, do they dive into any discussions of, of current um, policy issues in the state or at Certainly. the federal level? Do they do they discuss that, debate that, deliberate that, just as they Certainly. would? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yes, sir. So so. Uh, I know two specific uh, issues that, that that are in within our issues this year, um, and some of them we've had for years here and there. Um, we're talking about uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. is one is one topic, one of our issues, and, and how to fund infrastructure, how to fund roads and bridges. Um, so one of the issues that they're debating right now is whether to in, to implement a gas tax. Um, and there's been some <laughs> colorful debates on that. Um, some, some, you know, are, are sticking to, to how things work and, um, some are not, but that's where we try to, our staff try to step in and guide them along. Um, so they're talking about infrastructure and a gas tax. How are we going to, how are we going to fund roads and bridges? How are we going to fund our, our, the state of Magnolia, the fictitious state of Magnolia's <laughs> roads and bridges? Um, Another topic we're talking about probation reform. Okay. Um, what what they can do uh, to to help um, low end offenders and and getting them and reintroducing them back into society in a safe way in a responsible way that is beneficial to society and beneficial to that individual. Yeah. Um, th- those are two of the topics that they're talking about. They're also talking about uh, Medicaid expansion. If that's something um, that that these that these young men want to pursue, and and these aren't topics that that we bring up because of the current political climate. But they're certainly being discussed, and as these young men hear these discussions, maybe around the dinner table, uh, it's good for them to to have their voice and 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 find it and be able to to articulate that yeah. uh, on whichever side of those issues they would be. We don't do any any guiding in one way or direction um, in any sense. We. We give them the issues, and we let them decide, and they've had some good debates on those topics. Well, I'm glad they picked some non-controversial topics, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're not, we're not shying away from things, and, and uh, it's, it's been good. It's been very good, Gerard. Well, that's, that's how you learn, as you, as you well that's know. Right. And, and also, uh, we've been talking about it on the program. I mean, our, our elected leaders honestly have to, uh, to come out of the closet, so to speak, and uh, take on some of these thorny, sensitive issues that the sure. people want them to address, and that's difficult. And I'm sure that uh, the boys will find uh, that uh, situation to be the case as as well. And so I assume then, Milton, that you got people that that uh, it, that participate that that come from multiple or diverse uh, political views and positions. Yes, sir. In in the, yes, sir. We. In, Okay. Yes, sir. So we, we try to split things up and yeah. and we we're not we're not, you know, as I said earlier, trying to sway people in one direction or another. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to present the issues and our speakers come in and, and they, they might touch on those topics themselves. They might strictly speak to leadership and, and things that they wish they knew at that age. That's a common a common topic for their speeches. Um, but we certainly do. And, yeah. and uh, we've had all political sides come in and speak and, and we have young men from, from all parts of the state and, and for them to have 
to see them there and have some representation and, and hear both sides um, is a great thing. These young men are 17, 18 years old, so they're going to be voting very soon here. Yeah. And we want them to be prepared for that and knowledgeable in that way. Well, and then uh, tell me about this. It's my understanding that a couple of delegates uh, get elected and actually will go to Washington. That's correct. So that's called Boys Nation. Okay. So at the end of the week, that's pretty much our most prized position here at Boys State. Um, uh, we're, we're, our group, our Boys State delegation are divided into cities. And our cities are named after the speakers here, um, for this year. So the city will get together Friday evening and on our last night and they'll sit in their hallways and they're going to listen to a few speeches or, or a great many speeches from their from their fellow delegates in their city and their small group and and they're going to portray to them why they should be why this young man why, why this young man should be given the opportunity to go to Washington DC and represent Mississippi and then they'll go before uh, we have 10 cities so those 10 young men will go on stage and present their case to the whole delegation and then they'll vote on that um and the top 2 winners of those votes will will be the primary um winners to go to Boys Nation and then we'll We'll select two others as alternates, yeah. uh, and there's scholarship dollars in, uh, involved with that, and many of the other positions here at Boys State. Um, Boys Nation is an incredible program, and and all states around the country uh, support it, and, and we're happy to do so, and and make sure that we have good representation in Washington later this summer for Boys Nation. Yeah, man, it sounds like it's going to be a great deal, Milton. Appreciate you you joining us today and uh, giving us a rundown there, and good luck to all the boys who participate in. In this, and we'll probably check in with you at some point afterwards to see how all that went. I'm kind of curious to how all the deliberations go on these rather thorny topics. It ought to be good. We'll let you know what what bills come out of the legislature. (laughs) It'll it'll be a fun time. I'm happy to have that conversation. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Gerard. Have a good one. Thank you. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. With Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Rhino, give us an update on this situation and Brandon, the Crossgates subdivision. Yeah, there was a incident reported to authorities in the early morning hours this morning. Uh, officers responded, and when the first officers arrived, shots were fired and one officer was injured. Then, as more officers arrived to end the situation that's being reported as a hostage situation, when they attempted to enter the home where the suspect was barricaded, a Madison police officer was shot and rushed to the hospital, but apparently he has now passed due to his injuries. The suspect also received fatal injuries with everything ending about an hour ago. Hmm. The uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation is currently investigating the incident 
and once they complete that, more details will be known, or at least filed with uh, the Attorney General's office. Dang. So, hostage situation in That's a what's residence. being reported, yeah. In a residence off Crossgates in Brandon. Hmm. That's terrible. Terrible. So I just asked you, how did Madison get involved? You said in those situations, you just call for everybody. In yeah, in, in a situation like that where you need to cover a lot of ground and have a lot of eyes on something, especially after shots fired for the initial response, you, you call in whoever you can get your hands on, whoever's close. Hmm. Unbelievable. Man, well, we're praying, of course, for recovery, full recovery for the officer who was injured and it's just deeply saddened to learn of the death of the Madison officer. It's terrible. So then we don't really have any details other than that at this point, right? Right. So we are grieving with the family at this point. Man, I appreciate Milton Robinson coming on from uh, American Legion Boys State. And uh, I didn't participate in that when I was coming through. Didn't really have much of an interest in politics, but I know a lot of folks that did, and they always talked very highly of it and the results of it. So, proud product of Mississippi Boys State. Oh, the memories. That's on the ceasefire tax line. Let's see. We got some other text here. Darren and Jackson says, we will never, never pay off our debt or balance the budget. I totally agree with you. <clears throat> and so you can't pay the debt off until you balance the budget. Because as long as you're producing deficits, you have to borrow money to make ends meet. So that'd be the first step. You've got to balance the budget. You're right. That won't happen. And we won't pay our debt off. And, of course, most of that debt is owed to ourselves. It's investors and financial institutions and other government agencies. And nonetheless, we owe it to ourselves is the, is the way to look at it. <clears throat> Let's see. Curtis and Biloxi says, I identify as an LG HD TV. <laughs> Larry from McGee, I'm proud that Congressman Guest asked your opinion. I wish all our leaders would get your opinion. We'd be better off when it comes to economic issues. You're the best. Well, I appreciate that, Larry. I And... Um, I'm certainly willing to help any way I can. Is is any one of our elected officials see fit? And I think they know that. And I I welcome any opportunities and certainly respect their offices and and what uh, they are charged with doing. But any way I can help, I'm certainly willing to. Speaking of which, I got pardon me a big um, event tonight at the house for Governor Tate Reeves. Getting ready for that. Getting the house all spruced up, looking uh, for a big crowd out there at the house in Ridgeland. It's going to be fun. Raise a little money. No secret, I support the governor in his efforts for re-election to, to serve as our governor for another term. Though I am uh, solid, solidly on the Brandon Presley email list. How about you? You on that? No, thankfully I've managed to avoid it. There's some so long far. emails, too, when he sends them out. I am about to unsubscribe from the, the Donald J. Trump mail list, though, because <laughs> I get about 17 a day, and it's like, okay, dude, enough. Speaking of Donald J. Trump, 
he did. Uh, he went to to take uh, old Kaylee McEnany to task. Did she not? Did he not? You see that? Yeah, that's got a lot of people on social media mm-hmm. in a tizzy. I just look at it as you can only play that card so many times before people start questioning. Wait a second, <clears throat> you're all about loyalty. Right. But it only seems to ever go one way. I totally agree with you on that. And he got mad, did the president, because he said she gave out the wrong poll numbers. I'll read it here for you before we go to break. Kaylee Milk Toast, spelled (laughs) M-I-L-K-T-O-A-S. McEnany just gave out the wrong poll numbers on Fox News. Trump uh, said on his social media, I am 34 points up on DeSanctimonious, not 25. While 25 is great, it's not 34. She knew the number was corrected upwards by the group that did the poll. The rhinos and globalists can have her. Fox News should be uh, should only use real stars, he goes on to say. We're taking a break. Fox News, Super Talk News is next. We got Jeremy Nelson in the studio as well. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's midday super talk mississippi we are in the element well studios guiding you through here the middle of the day on this friday eve and joining us now jeremy nelson partner with element well jeremy good to see you man good to be here thought we'd have you in and so you must be good luck because the dow's been uh, flipped around in the last hour from being in the red to in the green i don't exactly know why i don't think they know right <laughs> no i mean you know Sure, we got a a deal last night. Um, I, I've been one that said I don't I don't really think the market's trading too much around this debt ceiling deal either. because I think it was a foregone conclusion that something was going to get done. Right, I think so. Yeah. I mean, and you know what's aggravated me about the whole thing is the fear mongering. And uh, I talked about this some yesterday on the program. So the fact that we can't borrow more money. It doesn't mean we don't have any money, that we don't have any cash. We got four hundred billion a month coming yeah, into the like treasury. Four point eight trillion a year coming in. I mean it's not like it's not billion. like they're totally broke. <laughs> so you got expenses of five twenty, five thirty. Yeah. Figure it out, guys. And yeah. so we, but the uh, the common refrain always is we're gonna default on our debt. Right, which would be catastrophic if we if we didn't make treasury payments. That's a problem. Absolutely. Well, remember back what was it, 2011? We went through this. We did. And you know there was a, you know we kind of were were at that point where there wasn't a deal and and the parks were shut down and you know so non-essential services were shut down and the market sold off and then it came back pretty quickly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a but we did get downgraded for what yeah. that's worth. We yeah. remember we went from. Triple A to double A minus, but Moody's kept us at triple A. Okay, yeah, there's one of the three that kept us at triple A. Okay, yeah. Well, and to what for what that's worth? I mean, yeah. versus what the rest of the dang world, which is like triple Z. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, 
you know, and and you know, a lot of people have been coming in in my office and they're or getting phone calls. Hey, what do you think about this this debt ceiling thing? Do we need to go run yeah. and hide? This is going to be catastrophic. I'm like, yeah, we've kind of been through this a, a whole bunch of times since 2011, and it's it's kind of a nothing burger. The issue is that we have 31 and a half trillion dollars of debt, right? And interest rates are much higher, right? than they were a few years ago. And so now what the, the issue becomes that the interest on the debt as a percentage of the budget is going to be increasing rapidly over the next few years, right? That's the issue. The issue is that we have $31.5 trillion of debt and we're running $2 trillion deficits. Right. That's the issue. And that, of course, uh, it, it drives monetary policy, which affects your credit cards, your mortgage rates, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a, that's a big old problem. And it drives inflation as it, well. Exactly. I mean, it, it deficits more than anything drive absolutely. inflation. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just there's too, you know, there's too much spending happening at the, at the federal government, right? And the one thing that we know is that, you know, the more money that stays in people's pockets or, you know, the less we're taking away from businesses, they're going to spend that money more efficiently than the government is redistributing right. the money. Right. right. And so there's a better multiplier to it. The government's just very inefficient in how it handles money. So, you know, look, I think that the Republicans are right to be pushing and, and trying to cut spending. You know, the only thing that I ask of them as well is, let's do this when, when you're in power as well. Like, this has got to be a concerted effort that we are finally at this point. Our federal debt is 118.5% of GDP. You know, it used to be like the 100% of GDP, debt-to-GDP debt ratio was like this trigger. And that's what took Greece down. And right. we're sitting here at 118.5% right now. You know, we have to act, and I, I look forward to and hope that in the 2024 election cycle that the debt becomes a primary topic. Because, you know, in Obama's last year, our deficit was pushing down to less than $600 billion. That's right. And here we are at $2 trillion now, and we're way past COVID. Right. right. Like, that's done. Right. So it's time to get this budget under control. Right. So uh, a question on the ceasefire text line, do other countries operate with a debt? Yeah, mo yeah. most do, most honestly. Do. Yeah. Uh, but what's, I think, more meaningful is not so much the amount, the dollar value or the currency value of their debt, but their debt to GDP. That's that's what matters. It's not about how much debt you have. It's about your ability to service it, yeah. right? You know, if someone's worth $10 million and they've got a million dollars of debt, well, that's not a big deal it, compared to someone that has a million dollars and a million dollars of debt. That's right. right. So it, that's it's right. that ratio that matters. Yeah. And and I can tell you, you well know, when you, when you go uh, fishing for money uh, from investors, that's what they look at. Yeah. Leverage is yeah. what it's called. And yeah. it's just, okay, well, you want this much, but you're making that much. we got to keep that into some constraints of, of uh, parameters, of, of ratios, yep. typically. Yeah. Um, and, and usually it's that, that leverage is calculated as, as EBITDA yep. to debt is typically yep. what they look at. And uh, different, different industries, they have different parameters yep. around that they use for investment guidance. But, uh, for example, I looked it up. Spain 
has uh, 113% debt to GDP. We actually had 111 or so in World War II. Mm -hmm. We just, I think, just recently passed that figure now, which was the record held in this country for the highest debt to GDP. Yeah, and I mean, World War II, but we were financing a war. That made a lot more sense back then. And this is, you know, this is something that I've been harping about for a long time and saying, look, here's the writing on the wall. We're going to get to this breaking point. And, you know, back in 2018 at our economic forecast, I did a whole presentation and I laid out, like, hey, we think sometime in the mid, you know, early 2020s, there's going to be a big problem here. Yeah. We're going to have to deal with this because if interest rates normalize, here's what we're going to look at. Well, we threw COVID on top of that, right? Now, right. a lot of that debt is sitting on, this is a little technical, but a lot of the debt, you know, about nine and a half trillion of it or so is sitting on the Fed's balance sheet. That's right. So that interest is actually being paid back to, to ourselves because they send the money to the Treasury. Yeah. But it's still, you know, an astronomical number that needs to be addressed. And and it's important to make that point because I, I've said it on the program before, and I, and I think it's people can sort of scratch their heads, and it's understandable. We actually owe ourselves. Yes. At the end of the day, all this debt's owed to ourselves. Yes, but if we, you can't continue to do that forever no, because then the foreign markets lose confidence in you, your status as the reserve currency, all these things come into play at that point in time. So Our saving grace is they're worse off than we are. Well, hey, I mean, Spain's less than us now, but that, you know, that was yeah. the whole thing about you know, back in 2014 with the European debt crisis, right? That was a huge issue and forced austerity. They've actually been doing stuff about it, yeah. right? And and we haven't. And we haven't. we're to a point now where Spain's debt-to-GDP ratio is lower than ours. Yeah, that, which is crazy. Uh, England, I think, has always yeah. had a bunch of, uh, carried a bunch of debt as well. They're slightly over 100% mm-hmm. to GDP. But from an investment perspective, uh, you you touched on that a bit. What what are you hearing inside your contacts in the investment community with respect to concerns? First of all, about the debt, and then just fiscal policy and our and our fiscal situation, financial situation, yeah. altogether. Well, you know, I, I go back to a conference call I was on with Ben Bernanke, former chairman uh, of the Federal Reserve, a couple of years ago, and you know, in a, in a polite way. I mean, obviously, he's not going to rip on the government too much but you know this was not a a public call you know he basically said look it is time right fiscal or monetary policy has bailed out bad fiscal policy yeah for a long time that's right and we're to the point where we've seen the we, we saw the breaking point with the inflation in 2022 right that monetary policy can only take you so far and eventually if you're printing money it's going to become inflationary and so, you know, wham, here we are. And we are being, you know, slapped in the face right now and realizing, okay, Washington has to come up with a better fiscal plan. But so this is what frustrates me, though, Jeremy. You get all these guys that know their constituents want to hear the condemnation of out of control government spending. Okay, I mm-hmm. agree. But if you pin them down and say, okay, what are we going to cut? We don't get too far. Nope. Can we talk about that on the other side Absolutely. of the break? we got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, in the Element Wealth studio. Stay with us. Because I'm the tax man.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Rhino's always on cue with a little Pink Floyd money. Have you ever played, what's the song, Time, is that what it's called? The one oh, that's yeah. got all the dong, dong and uh, alarm clocks going on. <laughs> I told the you one that syncs up to the appearance of the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> 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 oh, gosh, that sounds like some of that L. Ron Hubbard stuff right there that <laughs> Rhino shared with me yesterday. Enlighten me on the, the entire genesis of... Uh, the, what's it called, Scientology. Yeah. I had no idea. I asked my wife about that last night. She was familiar with it. I had no idea. Aliens from outer space and all that stuff. Do you know that? My, my wife is an expert on it. She's seen, like, all the <laughs> Leah Remini, you know, bashing Scientology, you know, documentaries on uh, what A&E, I think. Yeah. So why is Hollywood so obsessed with that, though? Because you got to pay to be in it, and they want to show off how much money <laughs> they got. That's exactly what Julie said. You guys are thinking alike. That's exactly what she said, because it's kind of an exclusive club. Oh, yeah. And she also said, is this true, that, that you also have to disclose lots of your private information? Oh, yeah. You give them a whole lot of dirt to blackmail you with if you want to get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it signed me up, right? I mean, that's crazy. All right. So we got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. And we're talking about the debt ceiling and how that affects... Uh, the uh, investment community, and and uh, but but let's also just talk in general about what the outlook is now. We know the government spends too much money. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that because they produce deficits. I mean, it's not like an opinion. Well, you spend too much money. Well, no, you're producing two trillion dollar deficits. So the president has regularly boasted about how he cut the deficit from his first year to his second year. We're presently in his third year. Mm-hmm. He did, but that's simply a matter of of uh, a function of not also passing a $1.9 trillion COVID bill, yeah. right, which we were just, just handing money out like it was um, popcorn back in those days. So, he, okay, you didn't repeat that in year two. And I guess you could take credit for that. You cut the deficit. But we're on a trajectory. You've seen the Treasury yep. reports on this. We're looking at $2 trillion this year yep. without extraordinary COVID spending. Yep. $2 trillion. And, and the left says, well, that's because of the Trump tax cuts. No. We're producing more revenue than ever in this, in this country. You've seen the reports on yeah. that. The, the, the fundamental issue is that we have not decided what the role of the government is. Totally agree. Right. And then we, you know, there's this bartering back and forth all the time, flip-flopping in power. Nobody really has, we haven't determined as a nation what the role of the government is. And we kind of continue to fund things that are not the responsibilities of the government. Yep. Right. And the more that the government continues to do that, the more they're going to continue to run these unsustainable deficits. And, you know, I was telling you at the break, right, I grew up in Canada, and I grew up in a debt crisis where we were forced to do something. They passed the GST, uh, which was the goods and services tax, because they had, and all that money had to go to the debt to get the country under control. 
And for many years, you know, the country was in a, in a better position. You know, now they've gone nuts with their with Trudeau, and we won't even get into all that stuff. No but, interest in that. Yeah. But you know, we are we're getting pushed in this direction where we are going to be forced to do something here. And when you are forced to do something, it is a lot harder and a lot uglier than when you know you do it on your own. No so, doubt about it. So we we need Washington to come together, right? in order to really come up with a plan. And Republicans have to push hard on this through you know, the rest of the Biden administration and through whatever the next administration is, that it's time for fiscal responsibility. Because if we don't, right, that debt, that $31.5 trillion that we're talking about, that doesn't include the unfunded liabilities. $79 trillion. I just looked it up right. a couple of days ago. So you've got these unfunded liabilities that are sitting out there as well that we all know Right? There's less money going into Social Security than is going out, and that's gonna, that trend is going to continue here for you know, some years. You've got, you got to come up with a plan here. They won't touch it. It's, it's, just, it's off the table. We're not yep. touching that. We've agreed that. Before we start even talking about how we're going to get through this debt ceiling expiring, uh, our ability to borrow expiring, both parties said we won't touch that. Because it's politically unpopular, as you know, and even if what they came up with to reform those programs was reasonable in that it didn't touch anybody currently receiving benefits, and maybe it doesn't touch anybody that's within, say, 10 or 20 years of receiving benefits, that would still get so distorted Mm -hmm. by each side that opposed any sort of reform and the media that the average person would just think, oh my gosh, my check's going down next week. Mm-hmm. That's what would happen. Yeah, and that and that's where it gets that's where it gets so political. But you know, I'm not an advocate. For, I, I don't believe that people that are receiving Social Security, I don't call it an entitlement because you've paid a lot into that program. Right? Well, that, that's actually why they call it an entitlement, is what is the way they describe it. You're entitled to it. Yeah. That's what they you know, say. You've paid a lot of money in. Your employers over the years have paid a lot of money in. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I, I don't look at it as an entitlement. Okay. But you've got to make these things actuarially sound. But also, you got to go find other places in the budget that you're going to cut. I mean, we've all had budgeting issues at home or in our businesses, and you you go, hey, look, how can I cut 5% or 10%, right? You can't tell me that you can't go across these different agencies and say, pull out the red marker, find the fat, get rid of it. They won't do it. I and I don't understand it. Uh, you know, you could apply the same concept here in Mississippi, every time the subject of the gas tax comes up, we just had state director of the American Legion Boys State talking about uh, them deliberating some chosen issues, and one of those was a gas tax, which is very controversial here in Mississippi. I think you'd find people to get a lot more uh, on board with the concept if you would at least commission just a study, an analysis, a deep dive mm-hmm. into the, the money that's spent. Yeah on roads and bridges in the state. And I'm not suggesting that that um, that it's inefficient. I don't really know at this point, because I don't know that a third party has gone in and done such an analysis, and maybe take that as a kind of support yeah. for that. And But we don't do that in the federal government. I've never heard anybody say, well, let's take a fine-tooth comb to Medicaid, $600 billion a year. 
and make sure that it's running as absolute efficiently as possible and that there's no duplicitous and superfluous and unnecessary expenses. Nobody does that. Yep. That ought that ought to be on the table as part of a debt ceiling that, deal. That's that's what you've got to do. I mean, it's it's time for the grown-ups in the room to get in there and and figure this out and make the hard decisions. Like we can get there. We we absolutely can. There's just got to be the political will. And you know, where I see the bigger impact for retirees, right? Like let's talk about what our listeners really want to hear yeah, about, which yeah. is you know, if we don't do something, then in the coming years, there is going to be – we're going to be forced to start to do things, and it's going to get uglier, and that's going to have even bigger impacts on markets down the road. So, again, like right now, I'm not losing sleep about this debt ceiling debate because we've been here before, right? When people said, hey, we need to panic and sell, I'm like, no, don't, don't sell based on this because – even if we went down like we did in 2011 when it was all happening, if you sold, you missed out because it recovered back by the end of the year. I don't see this as a permanent impairment to markets, right? And obviously today we're seeing a deal, and the market's not exploding to the upside. Yeah. It's up a little bit. Yeah. And what that's t- we're still in this tight trading range that we've been in. What it's telling you is the market didn't really care about this because they knew something was going to get done. Yeah, it's more focused on other issues. Maybe the jobs report yep. this morning was more more meaningful yep. uh, to uh, to the markets mm-hmm. than this news is. Obviously. But you know, if the government were to actually cut some spending and get itself under control, because it's got plenty of money coming in, if they cut the spending and get everything under control, we are not going. The country is not going to go away, right? The country is going to be better off long term. Yeah. And and we don't seem to really want to talk about the the difficult issues, uh, the big ones, and we've also got the investment community. It seems like it's all about watching the Fed. Mm-hmm. We like we watch the Fed more than we do earnings. Yep. Is, that, be, is that your take? Does he yeah, see be, that? Well, because we we had the Fed put right. We got addicted to the Fed post financial crisis, right? And now. That's true. It's like, look, it's time to worry about companies actually making money. Fundamentals. Yep. we got to go back to fundamentals and technicals and get out of this just, I'm sitting here waiting for what the Fed does, and they hang on every word every time Powell talks. You watch the market trying to figure it out yep. and parse all these this language and all these words. Yep. Uh, but to a great extent, it goes back to poor fiscal policy, mm-hmm. and the Fed has to get in and is trying to fight that yep. with monetary policy. Yep. Gosh, we got to do something. All right, let's go tell them, Jeremy. <laughs> we will do our best. <laughs> Appreciate you coming in. Right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Drew. Yep. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, has been our guest. We're coming right back. Mississippi. Man. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. So, yeah, the subject of entitlements comes up. It's, it's just misunderstood. It's it's commonly misunderstood. I get it. It's, it the, it's been wordsmith to Helen Beck. That's exactly right. But the, the official definition is that those programs to which people are entitled, they're called entitlements. Um, programs to which you're not entitled, other than you qualify for the benefits just based on income or other personal situations, uh, those are not considered entitlements. So, somebody didn't like the way that uh, was handled here, but they'll just have to get over it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Looking at the history from these texts, they don't seem to be very happy with anything we have I to know, say. I know. I saw that. So, nitpicking to, for the sake of nitpicking. Yep. So, uh, I wanted to pass on, I thought this was of interest, the revenue, because I talked about that, how we, we're experiencing rev, record revenues, most in our history, and the CBO, of course, is responsible for estimating revenues, federal tax revenues. And so I, I looked up t- 2018 through 2023, uh, how they've actually done in, with respect to their estimates. And it just depends on how much of a stickler you want to be for, I guess, perfection. But they've never been right in the, <laughs> that five-year period of time. But what's important about this is this idea, this concept, that is constantly espoused by the left that the Trump tax cuts are solely responsible for the deficits that we're producing. So in 2018, for example, revenue was projected to be $3.5 trillion. That was year one of the Trump tax cuts. It came in at 3.3, and the Democrats melted down. We told you! And it was $201 billion less. But in 2023, the CBO, fast forward, projected $4.3 trillion. We're on a run rate to come in at 4.89, almost $4.9 trillion. And, of course, the fiscal year for the federal government ends September 30th. Well, they only missed it by $535 billion. That would almost pay for Medicaid, for perspective. It's ridiculous. Uh, And, of course, in fairness to them, it's, it's a lot of data to crunch, a lot of numbers to crunch. And they're sort of limited. You can't predict that with absolute 100% accuracy. You can't do it. Uh, but nonetheless, the flaw in the Democrat argument is that they always take to the bank whatever they say. If it's And honestly, all politicians do. If it's in their best political interest, the CBO said, you hear them all the time, right? The nonpartisan CBO said this, except they're wrong. That's the only problem, and they are in this case. But this It'd whole, be different if the CBO were truly independent and resourced all of their data independently, but they're simply calculating the data they're given. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And in fact, when they scored these bills as to whether or not 
they're eligible for passage in the Senate with a simple majority through the reconciliation rules. It's the same thing. Well, you only give them certain amount of data, and that's all they can score. And they're always done in these 10-year spurts, 10-year period. And the problem with that is, okay, we're going to give you this, we're going to add this program, which costs X, but we're going to make it expire in two years. Wink, wink. And they'll score that and say, hey, here's your score. That, that, uh, that passes. That's eligible for the simple majority. But we all know these programs aren't going to expire in two years. The Inflation Reduction Act is an example. It's got that crap in it, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, only for three years, though. Unbelievable. So a lot of the folks on the right, the Freedom Caucus in particular, they're mad because the uh, none of the Green New Deal tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act, which was part of the bill the House passed to repeal the House passed pr- uh, provisions in that bill that, that McCarthy took to negotiate, his baseline for negotiating, None of those got um, repealed. They're all still in there. And folks are mad. It's a bunch of money. I hear you. The student loan deal, we didn't get a concession on that. However, what did come out of it is got to start paying your student loan back in August. But does uh, the president, is he still allowed at least to attempt to forgive student loans? And I say that because the bill doesn't preclude him from doing so but the Supreme Court might. That would be the difference. But Which it's is, is why it's interesting that it ends the end of August. You have to start paying in September. If you get to that last couple days, and then he makes a knee-jerk decision, no, 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 we're pushing it back to <laughs> December. Well, it's going to be December or later before the Supreme Court will even hear it. That's so true. That's, Which means he gets to promise student loan forgiveness on the campaign trail. That's absolutely true. And he will. And it'll resonate. So this is where I I take a little exception with the Republican candidates. I think that they should stop with just focusing on the culture wars. I think the culture wars are, are a problem in this country. And we just talked about Johns Hopkins and their goofy pronoun language guide. And Lord knows countless examples that we've shared on this program. And heck, the media is all picking up on this, and especially uh, a lot of folks on the right. Uh, but with respect to how it's invaded corporate America, I, I got to go back for us. It was 2020. It was right after the George Floyd incident, you remember. And corporate America was busy, feverishly standing up these DEI groups and hiring all these people. And more importantly, more significantly, forcing all their employees to undergo and complete all this training and all these workshops. And and I go back to the very first one that we uh, we talked about was Sandia Labs. You remember that one. Those are the guys that make the uh, America's nu- nuclear arsenal. And we go, we go back to them, and they had a situation where they sent all their employees to a, a seminar. This was in August of 2020, all their executives. And they forced them to write letters to so-called marginalized people apologizing them for how bad America has treated them. But the one thing that I remember is them teaching is that rugged individualism 
a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving towards success are devastating to women and people of color. This goes back to August 2020. Now we've seen this stuff permeate every corner of corporate America. The latest that folks are up in arms about, Chick-fil-A, often thought to be the gold standard for upholding Christian values and beliefs of the founders, uh, Kathy. And I don't think they're involved anymore, though, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so they've, they've stood up now. It's been announced a big DEI group, and they've made some DEI statements, which honestly, it's, it's more than just making sure that we don't discriminate. It's another one. I don't have the statement in front of me, but it's another one that sounded like, no, you're going out of your way to give preferential treatment to, uh, to minorities or people regardless, based on their, uh, their immutable physical traits and characteristics. That's, that's where I draw the line. I thought the goal was just to ensure that you're not discriminating against people for those purposes. This forced, no, you're going to get the nod over that person simply because of your physical traits. No, that's I'm drawing the line there. That That is a slap in the face to performance-based hiring, promotion, compensation, advancement. That's not right. And you, you've seen it in the classroom. You've seen it, again, across our society, and it's disturbing. But from a political perspective, I'd like to see Ron DeSantis tell us what his economic plan is. What are you going to do for the economy? What are you going to do to rein in inflation? To start trimming this ridiculous federal deficit and debt? What, what, what's your plan there? And to have some reasonable, rational fiscal policy so the Fed is not at odds in fighting with uh, draconian monetary policy. I haven't heard him say that. Rather, what he wants to say is, we're not going to have pronouns in the government. That's great. I'm for that. we got to hear your economic plan, because that's, I think, what he's pursuing there from a campaign perspective may not be sufficient to get him elected, because the Democrats are focused on economic issues, mainly how much money they can give you. We're taking a break right here in the Element Well Studios with Aerosmith coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi. So earlier we were talking about Johns Hopkins and their 50 pronoun guide, and uh, even allow patients to choose their own name to put on their patient wristband. 
Of course, their professional staff can do the same on their name badges on the ceasefire text line. When I was a police officer, there were only a couple of other females. I would give another female officer's name if I thought someone was going to complain on me. I even had business cards made up in her name. Creative, no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, so Sam from Mount Hermon, I saw that as well, Sam, uh, right before the show. North Carolina, a little little glimmer of hope, uh, Rhino. I'm not sure if you saw this, but North Carolina uh, Medical School, they basically are getting out of the DEI business. Huh? Say it ain't so. Sounds like they're dismantling. They're reimagining DEI, I guess, right? That's what they're doing. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, it's deconstructed. I'm a little surprised because University of North Carolina is the med school, by the way. Right. I wouldn't have thunk it about them. I don't know why. It's kind of a purple state, honestly. But the uh, University of North Carolina Medical School said they're disbanding their task force without implementing recommendations. Now, this is another school that did ban the practice that had been implemented, I believe, of requiring DEI statements in the admission, hiring, promotion, and tenure process for the staff there. Some of these uh, recommendations that the task force made were based on the, the recommendations of the Association of American Medical Colleges that requires, requires students to study topics like unconscious bias awareness, understanding and responding to microaggressions, and understanding that America's medical system is structurally racist. And get over it. Sit down and shut up. It's racist. I have a theory. What's that? All of that is dangerously close to bedside manner. <laughs> and they aren't worried at all about teaching anything close to bedside manner in medical school. That's true. Never thought about that. <laughs> Bit of a conflict there. Unbelievable. Might we see other institutions? So I've recommended this before, and it uh, bears repeating. If, if you're going to do something to ensure, which should be the goal, that you don't discriminate. Well, then cre create a position uh, and call it the Office of Exclusion. When you're excluding because of that, that's a problem. But you better prove it was specifically, exclusively, expressly, simply because of those physical traits. I'm telling you that ain't happening. Bingo. Certainly not remotely close to the degree that the left tells you. So there was a report this morning, an article, as an example, in the New York Times, surprisingly, that really praised the, the results and the improvements that have been made here in the state in education. New York Times. And this is, a, this is an opinion writer that's writing columns of various um, victories, positive results that are happening across the, the country, and, and uh, wrote this piece. 
Mississippi is offering lessons for America on education. But what bugged me about that is that here's a statement from it, an excerpt. Mississippi is a huge, a huge success story and very exciting, David Deming, a Harvard economist and education expert, said. Actually had an interview with the author. This author was interviewing various parties about these kind of uh, just good stories from across the country, Mississippi being one with respect to its education improvements. What's so significant, he said, is that while Mississippi hasn't overcome poverty or racism, it still manages to get kids to read and excel. We haven't overcome racism? Almost sounds like he had a narrative goal in mind, and when his investigation didn't back up his narrative, he didn't do a great job of editing out his bias. Please play the ding, 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 It's exactly what it is. What? Yeah. It can't be. Unbelievable. Because what they thought, well, because we're still so racist, and most of the kids in the schools that they, by the way, reviewed and examined, have improved their scores dramatically, happen to be black. How could that be in such a racist state? You fools. We're coming right back. Fox News, Super Talk News next. Stay with us. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is now underway in the Element Wealth Studios on this Friday Eve. Today is the sixth anniversary of Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Super Talk Mississippi is so proud of Rebecca and what she has accomplished, sharing positive and unique stories about Mississippi and people across the state. Good Things is truly the radio happy hour in our day. Congratulations, Rebecca and Rhino. Awesome job there, Rhino. Great show. Appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Somebody that wishes to a name remain anonymous sent us a text, said that their company reprimanded them last week for misgendering an upper-level manager. <sighs> Uh, can't we just worry about and stick to and focus on making good products and services that serve people and getting a profit out of that? Can't we just do that? Nope. Can't do that anymore. Gotta placate the crazy people. Gotta live in their fantasy world. Golly. Don't believe your lying eyes. Unbelievable. If they talk like this and have an Adam's apple, but they're wearing a skirt, you gotta say, ma'am. Unbelievable. So just an update, we did have a hostage situation in the central Mississippi this morning in the Brandon subdivision of Crossgates. We have one officer who lost their life and another seriously injured. I think the whole deal started in the wee hours of the morning, right? One thirty-two o'clock in the yeah, morning. Yeah, that's correct. So we are deeply saddened at the news and we pray 
for the family of the fallen officer, for sure, and certainly we wish for the absolute best full recovery of the injured. You know, it's just another situation where imagine getting that call 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, we need you to go defuse a hostage situation. And you know it's dangerous. Yeah, apparently it stemmed from a domestic dispute, which is always the scariest call for a law enforcement officer to get because you're walking into a situation that is already potentially violent and both parties involved are in a highly emotional state. Yeah. Not rational. Could do something impulsive. Bad. It's what happened here. And but they they still do it. That's what's amazing. They do it. It's their duty. They train for it. They signed up for it. They accept it. They don't say, well, no, I'm not going to that. They suit up, and they go right, literally, into the ring of the fire. And in this case, sadly, one lost their life. And this is why we should be grateful to those who uh, wear law enforcement uniform and uh, protect us. I wish people wouldn't be so crazy. I really do. It's sad. Of course, the left in this country, they demonize law enforcement. And they, they extend permanent victimhood to the perpetrators, to the crooks. It's what's sad about the whole deal. It's because they abhor responsibility. Well, like we shared earlier with Sandia Labs, folks that make our nuclear arsenal, says... Uh, individual, uh, rugged individualism as an example, and that's that's really part of responsibility. Uh, having a can-do attitude, that's also linked to the concept of responsibility. Hard work, of course, is. Well, they say, oh, those, those are all bad. Huh? That's what you're teaching the people who are managing the company that makes America's nuclear weapons. China's got to be laughing their butts off. Well, they are. well, you know they are. And by the way, they're investing mightily, you've seen this, in their nuclear portfolio, their warships, their airplanes. We're worried about pronouns. Unbelievable. We're, we're producing huge guides of how to use pronouns. So... With respect to that aspect of these culture wars, I'm with Ron DeSantis, who, like I said, just focuses virtually 100% on that. I'm with him on that. I, I think that does need to be eradicated from government, certainly from our military. The, the, the purpose of, of serving in the military is, of course, to train for war. It just is. You don't want it to happen, and you hope by training and by equipping and by orchestrating a well-run, institutionalized defense that you won't have to use all that stuff. That's the idea, but it seems like deterrence becomes a little bit more tricky proposition when you're not focused on that which truly does defend and deter. And that is a concern. Governor DeSantis, please present your economic plan, sir. That's all I'm saying. 
You can't ignore that, especially on the heels of this ridiculous debt deficit and this uh, rather watered-down debt ceiling bill. And I'm not necessarily one who believes we could have done better. I don't know, honestly. Uh, And again, we don't have all the levers of government. Neither do they. Just as our side is saying, don't sign that thing, it's terrible. So is their side, saying the same deal. Gave up too much. Yet, I think the reason you saw the votes by the Democrats overwhelmingly in support is because Biden asked them to. Really do believe that. A little bit more stroke, I would say, than a speaker has. And now there's talks that there may be a call for the snap vote for him to vacate, give up the gavel. I don't know that this rises to that position. And to those who support that, again, I ask, well, then you get your butt in there. Well, that's the problem. Those that support that notion, if they really supported it over this, they'd have done it before the vote. That's true. To not let it pass. That's true. That's true. That's good. If they were really that gung-ho about this is a bad deal, they'd have called the snap vote before the bill could pass. Those who were calling for the snap vote, who were suggesting that might happen, I would agree. Now, those who just simply voted no, I think they just voted their conscience. They, they voted the way they, they felt like they should. I respect that. But yeah, those that are calling for McCarthy's ouster over this, I don't think it quite rises to that level. I think it would be silly. I think it would be chaotic. I think, honestly, I think you might as well hand 24 to the Democrats if you did that. Think about that, the political fallout from that. Just hand it to them. Oh, my gosh. They would leverage that to the hilt at all levels. House, Senate, President, all levels. And, and again, think about what you got to have to win the presidency, not the people in your party. you got to have the people in the middle that, that go either way, that vacillate. That's who you got to have. Are you more likely to get them if you impeach or vacate the speaker or not? I'd say the latter, that if you just leave it be, live for another day. What we should focus on? Let's get a bigger majority in the House, let's get control of the Senate, and let's get the White House. Then maybe we can start looking at some meaningful reforms. But right now, we don't have the levers of government to do that. And you can say, well, you just got to stand your ground. Okay, and then what? That still doesn't get what you want. It doesn't say, it doesn't equal capitulation on the other side. Okay, Republicans, we'll let you slash it the way you want to. No, it doesn't mean that. Heck, I'm just happy there weren't any tax increases. I don't know how they were able to negotiate that out of there, honestly. That's amazing, because is there a speech the president ever gives where he doesn't say, it's time for them to pay, just start to pay their fair share? Every time. Every speech. How does that which it's amazing that he can remember that refrain, but he has a hard time remembering if or when he ever was appointed to or applied to various military academies, depending on which one he's talking to. Because <laughs> oh, last gosh. year, I believe he was telling the Naval Academy that he was appointed to the Naval Academy in 65, and I think it was 
earlier today he was talking at the Air Force Academy and claimed that he applied to the Naval Academy oh my gosh. after he graduated high school, even though there's no evidence either of those things happened. Oh, my gosh. It's one of those situations where you've lied so much in your life, you truly don't know what's lying and what's true anymore. You lost track. You've convinced yourself most of the crap you spew, which is a lie, is now the truth. Or maybe you did it so much with impunity, you just keep doing it. Oh, my gosh. We got some more text here on the ceasefire text line, some questions uh, uh, about the pronoun stuff. And somebody said they just left the Kroger in Richland. We'll tell you what they saw. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, how do you think this is from the ceasefire text line? President elect, how do you think this pronoun BS would work out on our logging crew? I'll tell you how it would involve dust flying and hurt feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. It's crazy. It's just crazy that we're who would have thought that we're just tied up in knots over freaking pronouns. Is it that big a deal? I mean, not in the grand scheme of things. No, the the people that are actually involved in it make up a infinitesimally small percentage of the population. But yet, so many of these corporations are are adopting this crap, implementing it in their policies, in their handbooks. Because the useful idiots on the left lap it up. It makes them feel better because they have a cause. Because <sighs> their life is so devoid of meaning. I agree. They're fearful of the, the repercussions. There's no doubt about that. The, the woke mob goes after them. So, let's see here. Just left, This is Lisa in Clara, Mississippi. Just left Kroger in Richland, and they had a display of Pride T-shirts in youth sizes. They were at the self-checkout. So, I, I marvel, Rhino, at the people that go on social media and and blast these these various companies that uh, like Target and and all their nonsense. Um, and and of course it's Pride Month. We're June one just started Pride Month today. What I marvel about is the cost to boycott all these companies. Now I completely respect everybody's right to do business with who they want. I also take that a step further. I believe that a business, a private sector business, has the right to sell their goods and services, to trade with, transact with, whomever they choose, short of any sort of contractual obligations as a condition of operating, or perhaps some licensing obligations, standards. But other than that, I don't believe that a baker should be forced to bake a cake if they feel it violates their religious beliefs. 
I think I ought to be able to do business with whomever I want at the price that we can agree to. Period. So, the boycotting stuff, you know, I, I kind of fall in the middle on that, and, and I say that because, man, if I only in my business career only did business with people who aligned with me politically, philosophically, worldview, I'd have short customer list. Was it Michael Jordan who famously said when he was asked about Nike, his endorsement, his being a spokesperson, I mean, he made a fortune doing that, right? Put Nike on the map to a great extent. And folks asked him about his, why he didn't talk more about his political thoughts and views and why he wasn't more supportive of leftist causes. And he said, you know, Republicans buy tennis shoes too. He got it. He's a basketball player. A smart one, by the way, and a very successful one. But that it's he's so right. That's it in a nutshell. Now, here's I think what gets missed in this this wave about the boycotting stuff. A Kroger is one of the most woke companies in the country. And by the way, all the companies that make all that technology that you use to say you want to boycott another company, so are they. Why don't you boycott them? By the way, you'd have to boycott everything. <laughs> We're running out of companies. So I know people are really up in arms about the revelation of Chick-fil-A. I mean, it, it, you wouldn't think it from them. But I would challenge people, find a company that's not. You'll have a hard time. And another facet to this conversation is a lot of these woke decisions are being made at corporate HQ level. Board level sometimes. And a lot of local level members of these various communities and organizations, like Chick-fil-A, like Bud Light, are experiencing hardships because of decisions outside of their control. No doubt about it. It's exactly right. I don't like it. I wish they wouldn't yield to all that pressure. I wish they'd stick to making beer and selling groceries. And, and it, I mean, it's beyond just, look, if they want to sell pride attire, I mean, I, I don't want the government to step in and say, no, you can't do that. And if folks want to boycott them for doing that, uh, that's perfectly fine as well. But just remember, just as Michael Jordan said, Republicans buy tennis shoes too. Well, so do left-leaning crazy people too. And there's a bunch of them. So, for me personally, I like money. <laughs> now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. And what I mean by that is, I want, if I'm in business, I want my company to be profitable. I want everybody that has the means to and makes sense as a customer for my company to do business with me. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about philosophical viewpoints and so forth. Let's just talk about doing business. Can't we just do that? Why does the L.A. Dodgers see the need to bring the 
the uh, little sister, not the little sister, the sisters of perpetual indulgence, in, the, in that what they're called, I think. Why do they see the need to bring them in and make a big show out of this? Because they initially disinvited them because they were perceived as being controversial. And then the Rainbow Coalition got their panties in a wad and threw a hissy fit, so the Dodgers backtracked and re-invited them. So now the other side's having a hissy fit. That's right. So now, are they thinking about like a Christian and family night or something, I think? Is, yeah, Clayton Kershaw got that right. off the ground. Uh, pitcher for yeah. the Dodgers that said, and I think his, his position on it was correct. He said, you know, it's, it's not so much that I oppose this organization, I oppose that they're mocking a religion. And that's right. And so I saw the Catholic Church actually bought some advertising and billboards around it where they lashed out at the Dodger organization. Because they're ridiculing, I mean, it just is, the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which like formed in 1979 or something. And, and they, they have raised a bunch of money for charity. It's just crazy. Why do you have to mock nuns? I mean, that's their shtick. I know, it's drag queens dressed up like nuns and started with a couple of guys. I can't remember their um, their little drag queen monikers. It was kind of funny, but it's but it's it's vile, it's perverse. It's detestable. Why? And so why does it okay, they want to go do that. I don't want to prevent them from mocking the church, honestly. But why did the Dodgers organizations organization, have to bring them in, essentially supporting them, and giving them a platform. Imagine you're a, you're a parent with a child that's in a Catholic school that's being taught by nuns, and they see that and say, what the heck is this? Acting crazy, inappropriately, mocking, ridiculing. I, I just don't think that's, that's necessary, and so, but I mean, can't they just play baseball? Why do they got to do this? I want to go to the baseball game and watch pro athletes play baseball. Not to see not to see these sorts of events. And look, if they said, well, okay, we won't do the, the Christian and family night as well. Okay, fine. Just play baseball. I think most people would say, just play baseball. Because you can't win. If you try to appease one side, one group... How in the world do you possibly balance that out? It's not possible. Stick to your knitting. Stick to your knitting. As simple as that. But no, they gotta go, they gotta go over the top, I guess. And and you're right, it's the it's the backlash, it's the retribution, it's the fear. Shouldn't operate that way. But it's because the Rainbow Coalition can't exist without external affirmation. Well, that's true. And, and I think most clear-thinking people in this country would say, I, okay, if that's your lifestyle, that's fine. Go do it. Adults, leave me alone. Don't stick me in the eye. Don't shove it down my throat. I don't care. That's fine. I think most people, even a lot of folks that would fashion themselves as, as right-leaning conservatives, or I think, would say, okay, you're consenting adults. Whatever you want to do is fine. Just don't stick it in my nose all the time. And look, corporations, be a little sensitive to, to the fact that there are people that maybe 
don't agree with all that, but more importantly, why, why do you got, it's like Target, why do you got to put it up front with 14,000 signs around it and calling such attention to it? It's not necessary. You want to sell the merchandise? Fine. Put it in the, where all the other merchandise is. Not call such special attention to it. That, that's what, I think it's what aggravates people. It's the look at me's versus the leave me alone. It's just wrong. We're coming back. Half an hour left on middays in the Element Well Studios. You're never gonna get my love. This love, love. You're never gonna break my heart. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Standing in the Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Final half hour of the program from the Element Well Studios today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. You'll hear an interview with Chief, uh, pardon me, Chef Andy Murray of the Caddyshack restaurant that he runs with his brothers, including actor, comedian Bill Murray. That ought to be cool. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations. That ought to be cool. How about that? I'd forgotten about uh, having a brother, the Murrays. That oh, yeah. A chef. Yeah, Andy Murray. That ought to be cool. Steve will do a good job with that. So you think that this diversity, equity, and inclusion racket is confined to public sector entities and also corporations, you would be wrong. It's now being applied to space. <laughs> you see? Space! <laughs> oh, gosh. The State Department seeks gender equity and inclusion in space. Yep, you see, they're working out a deal with other countries, China, Russia, that also are exploring, engaged in space exploration. And this is supposed to be some rules to kind of govern what is expected to be kind of a crowd (laughs) up there in space. Well, of course, we've got to underpin that with uh, the DEI concepts. The State Department says, we will showcase how U.S. space activities are conducted in a lawful, responsible, peaceful, and sustainable manner in line with these and other U.S. values, including diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. So we've added accessibility. It's now DEIA. The strategy states, diplomats will promote, quote, diverse expertise in space activities and showcase a diverse U.S. space community. 
the framework states, we will advocate for equity and equality in our diplomatic space dialogues to help close the gender gap and advance women's economic security. We will work with allies and partners to understand and address shared barriers to the full participation of underrepresented, underserved, and marginalized communities in the space sector. Can't we just hire people that can fly rocket ships and stuff? What? what? I mean, what the heck is that all about? We can't convince China to quit polluting, but we're going to convince them to change their mind on how they conduct their culture. That's <laughs> going to work. Unbelievable. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. I really don't. But it's gotten to where, no matter what, you you got to add that to it. It's got to have that dimension to it, right? That's just injected into everything. And it's a it's a ruse. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, so it, it starts out by saying, well, if we don't do this, well, then the folks who figure out who participates in all these various space activities, well, they may not hire somebody because they're a woman. Just simply that. Or they're a black person. Now, they might have a 300 IQ in nuclear physics or something, but, oh, no, we won't hire them, Right? Who does that? Who does that? I challenge all these fools. Show me somebody who says, I'm sorry, we'd hire you. You're perfectly qualified for this, but uh, you're the wrong race. Who's doing that? Like 99% of liberal ideas, it's a solution in search of a problem. No doubt about it. I, I'm just not, I'm not buying it. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the case. I really don't. I just don't see it. My 33-year career of hiring people and working with companies that hired a bunch of people. I never saw that. Ever. I just didn't. So I, I challenge them. But you, you notice they never they never do provide an example. You ever you ever heard them say, well this company over here, they're absolutely not hiring people because of their race, their gender, their sexual orientation. Have you ever seen them come up with a uh and guess what if that happens? You'll own that company in court. That's why you know it's not happening. Because demand for prejudice far outstrips the supply of prejudice. Oh, no doubt about it. But their little cottage industry that revolves around the idea of prejudice has to have it or they go broke. No, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. It's, a, it's an industry. It's the grievance industry. It's a shakedown. Incredible. Larry and Mize wanted to know how... Congressman Michael Guest voted on the debt ceiling due. I'm pretty sure I'd know. No, you don't, Larry. I think what you probably assume is that Congressman Guest voted for the measure. He did not. He voted no. We covered this earlier in the program. You may not have been able to listen to us then, but he was of our four delegates in the House. He was the lone nay vote. The other three voted for it. But again, I ask you, Larry, just like, and, and it's a serious question for anybody, what do you want to do? What if, if you were king for a day, what would you do? I'm talking specifically about the federal budget. What would you do? 
If you were king for a day. And and well, let's first focus on what's the goal. Is the goal to balance the budget, or is it just to start chipping away at the deficit and thus the increase of the debt? Because until you fully eliminate the deficit, you're adding to the debt. You're in the hole. You gotta borrow money to make ends meet. So you gotta you gotta take the two trillion dollar deficit to zero before you d you stop adding to the debt, much less retiring the debt and reducing it. It's a six point three trillion dollar budget. You gotta find two trillion if your goal is to balance it. Two trillion. And don't say stop sending money to foreign countries. That's forty billion. You you only got one trillion nine hundred and sixty billion left. And I'm all for rooting out all the waste, too. I, I'm for all that. I'm just saying if it don't add up to two trillion, just the math here, then you haven't balanced the budget. And once again, I argue that most people don't want to do the hard things. They don't want to take the the distasteful medicine. They just don't. And politically, even discussing it, as we've said, is a problem. No doubt about it. Speaking of which, you know the Medicaid disenrollment has begun and states have announced uh, when they intend to start disenrolling. Five states did in April. The state of Mississippi is scheduled to begin in June this month the disenrollment process. This is why we haven't heard anything about it. You know, we talked about it many times on the program that when this uh, this additional federal match that was enacted under Donald Trump in 2020, uh, which also had attached to it a requirement that states could not disenroll anybody once they were found eligible and in the program, or already on the program and became ineligible, well, all that now has come to an end. They came to an end March 30th, April 1. States are able to disenroll Medicaid recipients. And then by September 1, the federal government pulls back on that additional match they've been sending us, which of course has been running up the, the debt and the deficit. Well, that pulls back that additional 6% and change. That means the state's got to fund it. Falls back to the states, but the states are also required to start disenrolling folks on Medicaid if they no longer meet the eligibility requirements. And that again, there's been a moratorium on that for three years, passed in March 2020. It's expected that some 20 million, 18 to 20 million, will be booted off the Medicaid rolls. Here in the state of Mississippi, it's probably 150,000 or so. And by the way, that's without expansion. Um, it just has allowed folks on Medicaid to stay on it, even though they're no longer eligible, such as pregnant women, one of the coverage groups. Once they had their baby and delivered, they still remained on it. Couldn't kick them off. Uh, and then you got folks that uh, maybe no longer meet the income eligibility requirements in the other coverage groups, children, disabled, blind, elderly, adults. So this can be interesting. I think you're going to start seeing and hearing a lot about 
uh, this across the country, including here in the state of Mississippi. We got the uh, we got the final segment coming up next on Middays. We thank you so much for joining us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. There you go, on the all-hit request line there. That's because I said, if you were king for a day, what would you do with respect to the budget? We could apply that same concept uh, to the state as well. What would you do? So uh, this is a person who texted in, said, have a good friend who had finished all of his pre-med school, applied for medical school. Oh, it's pre-med, and then applied for medical school. He was told all of his qualifications were great except his category. He is a white male. Yeah, that's happening. Been happening. It's gotten worse. No doubt about it. You're hearing reports from that. I've also heard, have you heard about this, that the um, organization that advises states on their bar exams, they're wanting to change the bar exam to eliminate the disparities in the results because it turns out that minorities score lower on the bar exam. So they want to like eliminate family and estate law totally from the bar exam. So I, I mentioned that to a couple of friends of mine who were judges over the weekend. They said that'd be a terrible idea because they struggle finding people as it is now that have expertise in those practice areas, which are important. So it, that's our approach to everything. We have this disparity. Well, let's just dilute it and make it easier. That's the, that's the solution? Well, maybe we ought to really investigate, well, why do we have the disparity? I mean, everybody has the same opportunity to learn, to, to become proficient with the material before they take the exam, have access to the same tools, and if they don't, well, let's fix that. Rather than, oh, yeah, we well, just got to go change the test. We got to alter the standards. We gotta, we gotta make them less challenging. That's not the that's not the solution. I mean, it's should we change the game of baseball? You can't throw it over eighty. Same deal. It's crazy. I mean, there's already been incremental adjustments to the game of baseball. I mean, just look at how they measure the the speed of a pitch. Yeah, it used to be measured. The speed of the pitch when the ball crossed home plate. That's right. They changed that. Now it's measured when the ball is released from Out the, of the pitcher's hand. hand. Yep. So if you look at some of the all-time greats like Nolan Ryan, who was hitting over 100 miles an hour at the plate. Right. 
He was probably hitting 110, 112 when it left his hand. No, nobody liked that guy, as far as that goes. No doubt about it. No, no, totally right. You're totally right about that. I, you know, I've explained that to people as well because I've been around that a long time, and I always marveled at the dads who'd bring the radar guns to the high school games. And I've been around that so much, I literally could could tell, could guess about the guys that can't. They don't need radar guns for that. They do it to check it. Right. You know what I mean? To confirm it. But you get to where. You don't think those hitters can tell? My son said, Dad, 93 and below, I, I, I can handle. He gets above that, it's like I can't see it. Like, you're talking about one miles per hour. And I asked some of the other hitters, yeah, he's right, Mr. Gibbert. 93, like, what is it about above 93? And they couldn't explain it. But they could say, 92, 91, 94, oh, hell. I mean, <laughs> that's what it's they would say. because you're limited by human capability. Yeah. But they got to where their eyes... Because it gets eyes, from the pitcher's hand to home plate faster than you can blink. No doubt. And react. So you're guessing a lot. But what the point is, they they got so good with their eyes watching fastballs. And I remember one time watching a high school game, and I was behind the backstops watching the... I didn't know Dad was next to me, the pitcher on the mound. I just didn't know. And I just made a comment. That looks like it's about 83 or 84. Oh, it's above 90! And he put the radar gun on it, 83. Of course. Like, you can tell. And I just walked away like, I, I mean, it's okay, man. Don't get so upset. I I just made an observation. Greg Maddox was one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and he was not a power pitcher. That's right. Exactly. He would struggle to hit 90 some days. That's exactly right. Um, but, golly, if you ever look at some of his statistics, incredible. His base on balls to strikeouts and... And uh, all crazy statistics like number of times he got behind in the count, which is just silly. He was so good at that kind of stuff, you know. He could beat everybody except Tony Gwynn. That's true. Who maybe had this absolute best eyes and best ability to hit him, but just pure hitter. Such a joy to watch that guy swing a baseball bat. Larry Mize, by the way, said, Rome wasn't built in a day. You have to start cutting somewhere, even if it doesn't totally balance the budget. I agree, Larry. And by the way, you know who said that exact thing? Kevin McCarthy. He said the exact thing. He said the exact thing about this bill. So, And I'm in agreement with you. That's why I could have been okay either way as long as we don't Say, okay, we're done, guys. Call it a day, because we're not. You got to st- keep pressing. Out of here today. Stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.